been good to be here this morning. Glad to have this big number of people here in the room. Good to see everybody here. Glad to have those watching online. And uh, we're back in Romans this morning, Romans chapter 15, as we're still in this sermon series, Rooting Through Romans. This is actually the, the 50th one. Uh, there's probably going to be maybe, um, maybe 10 more before we finish up this sermon series. Maybe not that many, but uh, this sermon series has been going on for nearly, I believe, three years, uh, coming this October. But uh, Romans chapter 15, we take our text from. I want to look at verses 8 through 13 this morning, Lord willing. I've titled the message, Christ for All. Christ for All. Go ahead and read our text. Romans 15, starting with verse 8. And here the Bible says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all you people. And again Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the church service thus far. God, we're praying now that you help us preach. Lord, that you'll just do a mighty work in our hearts. And God, may we leave this service this morning recognizing what a mighty God that we serve. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we wind down Paul's letter this is really the last teaching that he's going to give to the Romans. Uh, after this, he's going to start giving uh, his uh, a greeting, the way they did in that day, the greeting at the end of the letter. He's going to start giving them advice. He's going to talk a little bit about his personal ministry, uh, give some people some uh, recognition. And those things are going to wind up the rest of this uh, book in the last of this chapter and the chapter 16 following. But this is, like I said, really the last part of the teaching part of Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, let's not forget this letter to the Romans is a mixed church. It's not all Jews. However, it is, is mostly made up of Jews that are living in Rome. And this is Paul writing its, its doctrine. I mean, it's doctrine, it's theology, it's the truth of God's word. And um, he wants to make sure they're grounded firmly in, in the knowledge of Christ. And we as Christians need to be as well. It is sad to me to know that many or most, probably most Christians, don't know the Bible, hardly at all. Uh, they've not taken time to study it and to meditate upon it and uh, try to dig and, and learn the deep things of God. They just kind of brush over it and uh, read it because they think they're supposed to and have to. Uh, maybe in church when the preacher reads text or in Sunday school, they'll they'll read the Bible. But that's really the extent of most Christians' Bible life. And it ought not to be that way. We should be grounded. We should be known as biblicists. Somebody should be able to come to you and ask you questions about the Bible and you not get uh, all nervous and, and not know what to do or where to show them or what to tell them. You ought to have some kind of um, steady guide in God's Word. You should have some enough familiarity of it to be able to point people to certain things and and have them understand it. Well, 
<clears throat> that's a little off the, the thing here, but let's get back at our text. Uh, he begins describing here in verse 8 the role that Jesus has in salvation. And he says in verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Now I want to break this verse down some. And I want to look at um, you know certain words and, and names and things in this so that we have a, a good understanding on, on exactly what this is. And we start out here, he says, Now I say that Jesus... Uh, that name Jesus, we all identify with it. We know what that means. Of course, being a Christian, uh, Jesus was a common name in that day. He, I believe there's three different ones mentioned in the Bible, but, uh, you know, it, in Christ being one of those. But Jesus here, or Yeshua, or Uesus, or Jehoshua, sometimes he's called. Uh, some people don't like using the name Jesus. They claim that we're wrong for using it because there's no J's in the language and all this and that. And so on. But uh, this is his earthly name, his given name. His, we call it the proper name. My proper name is Byron. Uh, some people call me pastor, but pastor is not my, my proper name. It is my title. And so as we see this with Jesus, uh, uh, his name is Jesus or, or Yeshua, uh, if, if you want to say it that way. And it simply means salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. Or you can even say Yahweh is salvation because Jesus is God. Uh, Yahweh saves. And so we get some understanding of how this name came to be by reading the Gospels. Now, you all are familiar with that. Everybody in this, this building today we know is familiar with how Jesus got his name. But I, I do want to remind you, or, or maybe those that may be watching that doesn't know this, uh, where we can find this information, it is in the Gospels. If you want to look in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, and it's talking about the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, and this is not the only place this information is given in the Gospels, but Matthew is where we want to read from. Starting there with verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now here's the important, or it's all important. But this is where we want to emphasize. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. All right. So there we see two different names given in, in the text. But they seem to be pointing to the same thing, the name of Jesus. Well, there in verse 21, we see the name Jesus. And the definition, by the way, is also given right here in our text. The definition that says, um, they shall, uh, or he shall save his people. And that's really the definition of Jesus, the Savior, the uh, Yahweh saves or Jehovah saves or uh, of salvation. 
So he shall save his people. But notice there in verse 23, it says they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, this is the fulfillment of prophecy, just like it said right there. It said, uh, was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, and, and keep that in mind also. When a prophet speaks, a real prophet, he's speaking what God says, not what the prophet came up with his own. The prophet is speaking what God has given him to say. And so there it gives, it's real plain, it says, was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. So this is God telling the prophet, here in this case, Isaiah, saying, you tell him to call him Emmanuel. And it gives us the definition of that, which is being interpreted is God with us. So it, it, it means that God is here among us. And so this is the fulfillment of prophecy, Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel with an I. All right. Now we've talked about this before. Notice the spelling is different in the New Testament. Emmanuel is spelled with an E. By the way, this is the only time that name is used in the New Testament. Emmanuel is only once in the New Testament. It's right here where we just read. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that it's spelled differently. It's spelled with an I. And by the way, it's only used twice in the Old Testament. Emmanuel. For a name. There's a city also. Oh, Emmanuel. But uh, regardless of that, here, the original Hebrew word is composed of Emmanu and uh, and then with El. Emmanu, El. El means God. So Emmanu is with us and El is God. So Emmanu, El God with us. In, uh, in, the, in the Greek there, it's, it's called um, with an E, and it's the translation of the Greek word. So what, what happens when you translate Hebrew, which the Old Testament's written in, to English, it, it's an I, Emmanuel. And when you transliterate the English from the Greek, which the, the New Testament is written in Greek, recorded in Greek, then it's, it's from the Greek word, uh, Emmanuel, and so it, it starts with an E. But they both mean the exact same thing. They're talking about the same person, God with us. And so, regardless of how it's spelled, it means God with us. Now, incidentally, Emmanuel, like I said, is only used twice in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, three times in the entire Bible. But yet, we we think a lot about that Emmanuel. In, at Christmas time, we'll start singing songs that have Emmanuel in the, in the uh, in the lyrics, and so. What this means is that people will identify Jesus as being God with us. It doesn't mean his proper name is Emmanuel, because he's never called that in the Bible. It just says that his name shall be Emmanuel, but what that's re implying or referring to is people will recognize him as God with us. He's God in the flesh, God incarnate. And so remember what the Bible said in John 1 and 14. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we, we know the Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with, with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. You know. So Jesus is the Word. The Word, it says, was made flesh. So... In the beginning, when the Word was there with God, He was not flesh, He was spirit. But here, when He becomes the God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, He robes Himself, or 
manifest himself in flesh to appear as a man to be among us, to be like man. And so it's God with us, Emmanuel. Which brings us to the next word used in verse 8, back in Romans 15 and 8, Christ. Now a lot of people think that's his name. His first name, Jesus, last name, Christ. But it's not. It's not his name. It's not Christ. Uh, there, the original Greek word for that is Christos, and it means the anointed one. The anointed one. It's the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. And so that's what Messiah means also is the anointed one, the one that's anointed to bring salvation to men. So Christ is not his last name or a given name. In fact, it's his office. It's what he does. It's, uh, um, he is the Christ. He, even though it doesn't say Jesus the Christ, it usually says Jesus Christ, but it is his office. And so, uh, it is used a lot of times in conjunction with his name, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in Romans 15 and 8, it's, it's just plain Jesus Christ. And like I said, when uh, in Lord Jesus Christ is used throughout the Bible, and I, I got the count of 85 times in the New Testament, you'll find the, the words, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 85 times. Lord meaning God, of course. Uh, God, it means he rules over you. We, we sometimes use the word lordship. Uh, so he is lord over us. And his name is Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves, or salvation. And in Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so that's, if you put all three of those together, that's what that means. Lord Jesus Christ. He's God uh, and Jesus, and he's the Messiah. He saves. All right, now the next part of verse 8 there. He says, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. All right, so Christ, the Bible says, is a minister. A minister. Now, when we use the word minister, uh, usually we're talking about a preacher, or a pastor, minister, someone who works in the gospel uh, and um, teaches the Bible, ministers to people. A minister is a servant. That's what the word means, is a servant. And so it's saying here that Jesus is a minister or servant to the circumcision, of the circumcision, it says. And so not only is he of the circumcision, but he's to the circumcision. Uh, and circumcision, of course, means separated. We all know when it's first used, when God meets with Abram, and he tell, gives him all the promises, and he makes the covenant with him, the covenant of circumcision. And so it's the separation of the foreskin for Abram, and that is to be done to all of the Jewish or Israel, children of Israel, as they were known in that time, or, or they would be later on. They wouldn't be Israelites till then. They were Hebrews. Uh, with, with uh, By the way, Abraham being the first Hebrew, Eber, he come over from Eber. So that's what the Hebrew comes from. But uh, it, it means that God has separated them from the rest of the world. The circumcision, when used in the Bible, is usually referring to Jewish people. People of the race of Israel, the house of Israel. So what Paul's doing here, he's pointing out the fact that not only was Jesus a Jew himself, part of the circumcision, but he was also a servant of the circumcision. That means that he was there to serve them. Sent here to be a minister under the Jews and savior of them. Uh, Jesus has always stated throughout the Bible, if you study his life and his sayings, he's always said he came here 
for the Jew or the for the those of the house of Israel lost um, of the house of Israel. Uh, let me read that to you. Matthew fifteen twenty one through twenty four. The Bible says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now let's stop there for a second. This woman is not one of the, of the children of Israel. She's not a Jew. She's not a Hebrew. She's a, uh, what did it say, a Canaanite one? Yeah, she's a Canaanite. And so she is not of the circumcision, but she comes to Jesus and she uses the name Son of David, which is the name for the Messiah, uh, which the Jews would use. But she's using it, so she knows who he is. And she comes to him uh, on behalf of her daughter. Daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Verse 23, but, this is Jesus, he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's telling that to the woman. She comes asking for help. He says, wait, I'm sent here to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm not sent here for you. I'm sent here for the Canaanites. I'm not sent here for the Gentiles. Now we know ultimately God's plan is to was and is to include the Gentile. That's his ultimate plan from the foundation of the world. That was his plan. However, he sent Jesus here specifically to be the Savior or servant or minister under the circumcision, not under the, under, the, under the Gentile. He gave clear instructions to his disciples at the beginning, don't go over to the Gentiles. Matthew 10, 5 through 6. These 12 Jesus sent forth, the 12 being his disciples, and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So salvation began with Israel, the Jew, and then the Greek, the Greek being Gentile. And so it's always been God's plan to include the Gentile in his plan of salvation, but he specifically sent Jesus here to be a minister unto the circumcision, the Jews. And remember, over, the, over his head on the cross, the, the, the writing that was said, what was it? The king of the Jews. It didn't say king of the Gentiles. He was king of the Jews. All right, now look back at verse 8 again. It goes on. For the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Stop there. So, for the truth of God. The truth of God is referring to the gospel. That's the truth. The gospel, of course, we know means the good news. The good news is Jesus saves. And so the truth of God is that Jesus was sent here to preach the gospel unto the Jews so that they could be saved. And it says not only that, but he's come to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. The fathers. Now, we've mentioned uh, the promises and the covenant that God made with Abram, who later was named Abraham. <clears throat> but it was also made with his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. And not only were promises made to those men, the, who we refer to as the patriarchs of Israel, but they were also made to the fathers before them. What about Adam? He made promises to Adam too. And he made promises to Noah. He made promises to those men that lived for him, those men that were his men. He made promises to them. 
And so the fathers can include everybody all the way going back to Adam, those that were God's men. But I believe that Paul is specifically referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were the fathers. And so Jesus was sent here to preach the gospel unto the Jews and to confirm the promises that were made to the fathers. Now, one of those promises made to the fathers, as we know, was that uh, God would send a Savior, the Messiah. Now, that's what they knew him as. Uh, There's several names for the Messiah. I don't have them all written down here. I'll mess up if I try to give them all to you. Uh, you know, but many of them, Shiloh being one of them, but he made a promise he would send a, a Messiah, a Savior, to save his people from their sins. And he did. That was Jesus when he came here the first time, manifest in flesh, God with us. But listen to what happened. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, gives us a clear picture of what happened when, when the Messiah was sent. John 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Now he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse 9, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Remember, he came here to be a minister under the circumcision. It says right there, He came unto his own, which is the circumcision, and his own, the circumcision, received him not. Verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the fact is, the Messiah did come for his people, just as God promised, and they rejected him. Came in his own, his own received him not. We, we don't want you. That's what they told him. That we don't want you. We want to kill you. And they did. They had him killed. And so they rejected him, and then the Gentiles were grafted in. Now, we've preached on that already. Paul's already talked about the branches that were grafted and all that. We've, we've already preached that. We're not going to do it again. But, they rejected him. The Gentiles were grafted in, and that's what Paul's trying to get to in this letter in Romans chapter 15. In the next verse, he starts going down that road. Look at it, verse 9, Romans 15, 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And make sure you pay attention to that every time you see that. As it is written. Every time Paul uses that phrase, or anyone in the, in the Bible uses that phrase, they're referring to what God's Word has already been written down, what they already know. In other words, you know what it says in the text as it is written. <clears throat> That's not speaking about some other book. Some people say, well, they could have been referring to any kind of book. There was a lot of books back then. Right, what do you, makes you think it's a scripture? It's the scripture. That's every time 
The Bible says, as it is written, it's talking about what comes from the Word of God, and these people knew it. And so, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And so Paul mentions Gentiles six times in these uh, next few verses, from 9 to, what, to 13 or 12, 9 to 12, he uses the word Gentile six times. That's a lot of times for those short few verses there. And so he's driving home the fact that it's been written about the Gentiles, how God was going to save them. And so he starts giving them passages from the Old Testament. 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto thy name. When you see the word heathen in the, in the Bible, it's, it's not talking about Jews or Hebrews. It's talking about Gentiles it's, or anyone outside of the Jewish race or the Hebrews. Heathen is talking about Gentiles. And so you can use that uh, interchangeably. When you see that, it says, um, Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. You could put in place their Gentile. And I will sing praises unto thy name. Psalm 1849. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. <clears throat> I believe it's important that the Bible mentions that several times. Paul saying, remember what's written? Remember it started out in 2 Samuel, prophet, and then it's given in the Psalms? So look at verse 10 now, back in Romans 15, 10. He continues. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all you people. <clears throat> now, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this message, this church was made up of both Jew and Gentile, predominantly Jew. There was going to be a lot of different cultural differences there. Uh, the Jews are going to look down upon the Gentiles. The Gentiles may not quite understand all the ways of the Jews. The Jews have been steeped in that all their lives. And so they may look down upon them, and there'd be some kind of contention going on. Paul wants to set everybody straight and say, listen, Christ is for all. He's not just for the Jew. And remember what it said, the prophet said, what was written in the Psalms. You remember as it was written, the Gentile, and he calls them with his people. So the Gentile will be joined in. Now, again, he's referring to Deuteronomy 32.43, which says, Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Also, the Psalms, Psalms 117 and 1, O praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, not just all you Jews, not just all you Hebrews, not just all you Israelites. All you people, all you heathen, all you Gentiles. The fact is, all through the Old Testament, the prophets has prophesied that Gentiles would be part of the Messiah's plan, the Messiah's kingdom. Paul is reminding them of that fact. It's important that they remember it. Verse 12, back in Romans 15, 12. And again, Isaiah said, now there's another instance of the name Isaiah, starting with the E, because it's transliteration, English uh, from, from uh, Greek to English, it starts with an E. In the, in the Old Testament, it starts with an I, because it's from, from Hebrew. It says, And again Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. 
Now this, of course, being one of their main prophets that they would look back on, Isaiah, he's the prophet of the prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah, those are the biggies. And if, and if Isaiah said it, even though it was God's word, if Isaiah said it, you better believe they knew it. And so Isaiah said it, there'll be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. So what does it mean when you trust him? It means you believe in him. You, you get saved. That's what it's referring to. The Gentiles will be saved through him. And so this is, of course, referring to messianic prophecy. If you want to look at it, look at Isaiah chapter 11. And you all are familiar with this. We've taught on this in, in Sunday school and, and several things. But Isaiah chapter 11, this is the prophecy that was given by Isaiah. Isaiah 11 and 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So stop there for a second. We all know who Jesse is, right? He's the father of David. David. That's right. And so it's saying here, a, uh, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek, uh, equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion uh, fatling together, and a, a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. It, uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. There it is, prophesied, as it is written. Isaiah said the Gentiles would come to him. The Gentiles would be saved. And uh, Jesus fulfilled that prophecy right down to the very letter. Not one thing was, was out of order for Jesus to be that Messiah, the one is, that was prophesied. And that's why we read in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Revelation don't have an S on the end of it. It's all God's revelation, not revelations. Revelation 5 and 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Only the Messiah had that power. And we all know this, this event. John, there on the Isle of Patmos, is given those, the revelation from God. He sees that. God gives it to him in vision. And he's there at the, at the throne of God. And there's a book, and of course it's it's the scroll. Uh, it, it, that's what they call a book, the scroll, and it had the seals on it. And nobody there, the Bible says nobody was worthy to open the seals. 
to read what was in the book. And John starts weeping and crying. Finally, somebody says, hey, hey, John, quick, quit crying. There is someone here. It's the line of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, the root. Right there, what do you call him? The root of David. The one that was prophesied. Remember when Isaiah said this would happen? He's here. And what happens? He takes the book out of the right hand of God, the right hand being power. He takes that book and he starts popping them uh, seals off of there. And they read the uh, what's going to happen there in the Revelation. <clears throat> All right. Let's get back to Romans 15, 13. And this is Paul winding down his teaching. And he's given this, this, what he hopes for him. He says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now I like that verse. I put that on my uh, uh, Facebook last night uh, because it just, that verse just kind of speaks to you. It lets you know that this God of hope, I like that, that phrase, the God of hope. Not that we hope so, that maybe he's the God of everything that we need and joy and peace, but that definitely he is. Our hope, everything in our life is built around our faith in the Lord Jesus. So he's the God of hope. The lost man has absolutely no hope for peace or joy. He can get momentary joy. <clears throat> A lot of them try to get it through other means, such as alcohol, drugs, uh, relationships, whatever it may be, they try their best. Power, they think they get some kind of joy out of that. It's momentary. It's never lasting. The person that trusts Jesus as their Savior, God is our hope. He fills us with all joy and peace. Your life may not be rosy. It may, everything may not be going exactly like you want it to be. But down inside, you can have hope and peace through the Lord Jesus, because he is the God of hope. And he'll fill us with it. And it, Paul says here is that you may abound in it. Not just have some of it, but abound, abound. You know what abound means. That means more and more and more. Paul says, I want you to have more and more of this hope and this peace in believing. And that's the important part of it. It's through believing in the Lord Jesus. And so it's the only way that we can have joy, true joy and peace, everlasting is through God that we have any hope or joy or peace. And we get this through our relationship with the Lord Jesus, through our study and reading of his word. And did you notice in that verse, Paul said, through the power of the Holy Ghost? Each one of us has the Holy Ghost in us. Not only that, this word that we have, that we study, we read, and we uh, teach from, this is where we, our relationship with God, where we learn everything. But this was written by the Holy Ghost. So that is another important reason to study your Bible and to be in it is because these words here are written by the Holy Ghost. And through reading this, it can be applied to our hearts. He's dwelling in us already. He illuminates it for you as you read it. And so that will help you with your joy and peace and believe and help you abound in that. I like what Paul wrote to Titus over in Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, 
that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And so Paul ends this letter, to the, or his teaching part of the letter to the Romans, uh, with the thought here of Christ is for all. He's for all you Jews. He's for all you Gentiles. We're all part of the family of God. And so the rest of this chapter and the next will be Paul's summation of his ministry. It'll be his greeting, his future plans, and, and recommendations for the church and uh, for certain people that he recommends to help out in the ministry. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful letter this was, or is. <laughs> We're not finished yet. But uh, I've really enjoyed this study through the book of Romans. I've read it numerous, numerous times in my life. But it's not until this particular study that I've really, God's really illuminated a lot of things for me and showed me certain things that had I'd not yet seen. And that's what happens when you study God's Word. The more you study it, the more you pray about it and ask the Lord to show you, the more He will. Uh, ask and you shall receive, the Bible says. You know, um, how do you expect to receive it if you're not going to ask for it? You know, if you want to know the Bible better, ask the Lord to help you understand it better. You think He's going to say, nah, I don't want you to understand it. No, it's not going to happen that way. He will give you understanding. Ask him for it so that we can abound. Peace and joy. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message today. Lord, I pray that it's been helpful. I know that your word will not be returned unto you void. It will go out and accomplish that which you please. Lord, help each one of us today to be better about getting into the word. Lord, and, and abounding in joy and peace, God, that only you can give us. Lord, I'm praying for these here lately that's had problems in their life. They've had loved ones that's passed away. Lord, you know the ones in our family that are struggling right now. We pray especially for Uncle Ronnie after the loss of his son. We pray for his family. Lord, we pray for my mother and her family after losing June. Lord, we pray for Mary's dad that's in the nursing home. God, we pray for all these. We pray for those looking for a job, Lord. We pray that you help them. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling in their job, Lord, that you'll give them uh, peace in it. But God, we just want to thank you for everything you bless us with. Lord, may we never forget you're the reason for all we have. And God, may we give you glory, praise, and honor for everything that you've done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>